Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Meta, a podcast about podcasts, and I'm Peter Wells. Today I'm talking with singer, songwriter and author Amanda Palmer about her podcast, The Art of Asking Everything. Amanda had no idea that this would turn out to be a podcast. Uh, She thought she was showing up to a print interview, which she was, but uh, I I sprung it on her that this would also become a podcast and she was so gracious with her time. I can't thank her enough for this. We start by talking about the absurdity of a podcast about podcasts. Do you know, I'm actually thinking about making a podcast about podcasts about podcasts. <laughs> so maybe I can I can record this too. And then when I put out that podcast, I, I'm just going to use this. It's sort of like, no part of the pig will go to waste. We'll just fucking keep recording each other until we die. Oh, totally. And uh, I'll get you on Twitch and, and Snapchat. Exactly. And-, and then we'll get a TikTok together and it'll be fucking great. Alrighty, that out of the way, let's get to the show. Uh, so you're currently stuck in New Zealand? I am not stuck because I could fly home to America any old time. So I'm actually really careful not to say I'm stuck because some people <laughs> are enough. stuck. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in Hawke's Bay in a little town called Havelock North. So I actually saw you perform at Webstock years ago in, in New Zealand. Uh, and, I, and I can't help but think that as an American, especially, there, there, there are worse places in the world you could be stuck in 2020 than New Zealand. Yeah, I think I won the jackpot on this one. I mean, very much by accident, but I am really, really lucky, especially as an American and especially as a parent of a small child. I, mm. I am really lucky I wound up here. What is it like then being an American watching what is happening back home? It's devastating. It's incredibly disorienting as well. I mean, I just feel like we are watching the wheels fall off the bus and it's heartbreaking. I actually, I wake up every day and I I read the news and listen to what's happening. And there's a part of me that can very much believe it, given how broken the country has been for a long time. And then there's another part of my head that just, there's just another part of me that shakes my head and, and thinks this can't be happening. This can't be happening. We live in a constitutional democracy. The president's not allowed to say that. Mm. This can't be happening. And yet it's happening. So it's really, it's really horrible. And I'm a German studies major. I mean, I, I got my degree in German history. I've delved deeply into Weimar and the Holocaust. I know how fragile it is. Mm. And it's uh, it's quite disconcerting seeing the parallels at the moment. It's kind of easy as an Australian to watch on as almost America was a TV show. And, and, and that has been my default way of co- coping with uh, the news over there for a long time. But uh, it's, yeah, it, it, it's getting harder and harder to, to see it that way. Do you, do you feel that, uh, do you have any optimism for November and... I am doing what I think most Americans are doing, which is I am 
I'm not trying to forecast because mm -hmm. I feel that that's probably a waste of energy. And I am trying instead to batten down my emotional hatches, try as best I can to use my platform to get people to register and to actually vote mm -hmm. and to just get ready for a difficult winter. And, and it's funny because even though I'm down here in the antipodes, I'm sort of like, I have to be bi-seasonal right now. I'm feeling the emotional impact of the oncoming fall and winter in America as if I were there because it's in my blood and bones, even mm. though the bees are blossoming. It's hard. Well, let's move away from that because that is just going to make us both depressed um, and, and talk about your show. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so talk me through the podcast, The Art of Asking Anything. Uh, what, what, what was the idea behind it? Uh, it's called The Art of Asking Everything, but anything is just as good because basically anything and everything are, are equal here. I, I got the idea for doing a podcast maybe 10 years ago, and it was just always the backburnered project as I got distracted with another album and then a TED talk and then a book and then another record and a, and a, a child. And I finally, uh, I finally got to booking guests about two years ago. And so far that, you know, this podcast, I've recorded about 20 episodes of it and it's just incredibly deep personal conversations uh, with, with big thinkers, mostly artists, but also uh, psychologists and climate scientists and, you know, all, all sorts of people who were just great conversationalists. And I sort of used it as an excuse while I was on tour last year to just, in any given city, I set a few hours aside to just go very, very deep with someone that I wanted to befriend anyway. And I mm -hmm. kind of used it as my excuse to talk to them and cut through all of the small talk and the bullshit. And it was actually very handy. And my tour was incredibly exhausting and emotionally exhausting because I was on stage every night for four hours talking about death and abortion and miscarriage. And the podcast was actually a kind of a nice palliative little safe space to sit down and sort of in my exhaustion, talk with these really compassionate, smart people about about something other than myself and, you know, to, to hand the mic over and say, you know, what about you and what can you teach me and what do we need to know right now about who we are? You know, and every episode was very different depending on who the, the, the guest was. Um, but what's also fascinating about the podcast that I sort of keep forgetting because I take it for granted is that almost every episode was recorded in a different city because I was recording it as I was touring. It's been recorded on four continents and in all different kinds of situations and living rooms and recording studios with mobile engineers. And, uh, and it's really beautifully produced. So I worked with a, a, a like A-list a, a podcast producer to just make it sound like beautiful and seamless with little music here and there. And I'm incredibly proud of it. I'm really, really proud of the way it came out. Uh, if you listen back to it now, I can imagine there must be some bittersweet moments listening back and, and remembering what it was like to, to actually get on a plane and go places. <laughs> well, yes, but, you know, one of the things that I was concerned about is like when COVID hit, you know, I wanted to rush the podcast out because we had already delayed it a few times, but I was too overwhelmed with lockdown and 
parenting and, you know, just keeping my head above water. And I was afraid that the episodes would get stale. Like I was afraid mm. that an interview that I did 13 months ago just wasn't going to stand up post COVID. And actually it's just not true. When I go back and I listen, you know, the, this is not a current affairs podcast. It's whatever the opposite is. It's me asking these big, giant, emotional questions about the human condition and how we survive and how we deal with art and imposter syndrome and relationships. And it's all like really evergreen content. So I was really happy to sort of revisit the episodes and go, oh, no, all this stuff. It not only stands up, it stands up really well because we need to hear all of this stuff right now. Mm. Um, but I'm also doing live follow-up chats with all of the guests weekly to just check in post-COVID. Where are we? Where is your work at? How is your lockdown? And that's actually, um, that's a great way of tying the Patreon in with my podcast because my patrons are paying for the podcast, but this is like a great extra that the patrons will get, which is a, a, a more intimate chat with me and the guest and whoever shows up for the live chat. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand that that feeling. Um, I've recorded, I think, 18 of these now and I've re released three and it's like, it's that same thing of like, I just really want to get it out to people. Yeah. And it, what is it about podcasting that allows for, for it to be less about a, a news show and more about, you know, these, this, these evergreen conversations that can survive past the moment? Well, I sort of used my book and my TED Talk as a jumping off point. Um, you know, the themes of my TED Talk and my book were, were big and vast, but the commonality was asking and how we're bad at it. And as, a, as, as human beings, there's a commonality that I see everywhere, especially with artists and creative types, which is an incredible shame around asking for help in all departments. Um, and it was such a resonant theme with so many people in so many cultures that I just kept digging into it, thinking, okay, if this keeps resonating with people, then there's something worth continuing to discuss around this theme of why we are bad at asking. And, you know, and especially like looking at the collapse in America right now and what fed into it, I see these things as like really obvious bedfellows. We, we keep getting, you know, offered this Kool-Aid that we're not interdependent that we don't need help, that we should be able to do it ourselves, that we should be able to just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and fuck everybody. It's just about me and my career and my family. And if I just work hard enough, I can do it. And that's just not true. Mm. And the more we sort of see the collapse of these systems, the more we start to understand that if we don't acknowledge our interdependence, it doesn't work. Mm. So. Um, you know, and you see that everywhere. You see it in the arts, you see it in politics, you see it with the climate crisis. You know, it's just sort of one of those larger philosophical themes that that shows up in the undercurrent of every conversation. So I, I sort of used that idea and that theme as a jumping off point with each guest. Do you think that Americans in particular are more susceptible to that? I, I, I remember 
I remember thinking at the start of the COVID crisis that the, the, the American ideals of kind of individualism and, and also kind of, you know, lack of healthcare and a whole bunch of other stuff, it just seemed to be like a perfect storm for, for America to be hardest hit by this current crisis that, like you said, is so dependent on us looking after each other and looking out for each other. Yes, the painful paradox of the pandemic is that in times of crisis, we are instinctively called to move towards one another and to gather and to rely on our collectivism and our collective effort. And we've been physically unable to do that. And there's only so much collectiveness you can create through Zoom. You can try and we've done amazing things with the internet, but when we cannot gather, we become more emotionally vulnerable. And I think, you know, that's the big one-two punch and the big paradox of this pandemic is that we've been separated and then separated again. And, and that makes healing difficult and that makes progress difficult. Uh, I'm sure you love all of uh, your your guests equally, um, and it w- would be hard to choose a favorite. But is there a moment that that really springs to mind from one of the conversations that helps explain this moment that we're in? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think I could probably pick any one of my guests and answer that question. My very first guest, and clearly with twenty interviews in the can, I could make a very deliberate choice about who was going to inaugurate Mm -hmm. this series and sort of act as the, as the gateway. And I chose Elizabeth Lesser for a reason. And you, and it's funny, you're the first journalist to ask me that she is publishing a book right now that she was working on when I had my conversation with her called Cassandra speaks about what happens to the world's narrative when women are the storytellers. And I I firmly believe, especially after just having done a year-long tour where I spoke very candidly on stage about abortion and miscarriage, I firmly believe that you cannot untangle what is happening right now from the fact that women are not believed. Mm. I just don't think you can make these into separate issues. And women are so powerful and so capable. And the general undercutting of women's power has really landed us in a shitty situation. (laughs) And I just just don't think you can look at what is going on with Trump and going on with the American catastrophe and going on with the coronavirus catastrophe and going on with the climate catastrophe and not see yet another obvious undercurrent of women not being at the table, bringing the, the bounty of wisdom and strength that they have to offer to find solutions to these fucking problems. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mm. And until we kind of get at this, the root of systemic sexism and systemic racism, it's not going to work. The whole picture is not going to come into focus until women are believed and, and racism is called out and, and untangled. Mm. And so Elizabeth has been writing, you know, has been thinking and writing about this for many decades and, I thought it would be good to just like go out swinging and say like, yes, there are all these topics, there are all these themes, but one of the basic themes that I see, and especially having just finished this tour and having held so many weeping women in my arms after my show, is that this needs to be addressed pronto. Mm. (laughs) Because... You can't you can't go in and fix the minutia if you don't fix the root. Absolutely, and and I guess it there there is no starker contrast than Jacinda Ardern to to Donald Trump. The, she is the yin to his yin, mm. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the yin to his yang. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> uh, how how do we fix this though? Because uh, watching the the primaries, the Democratic primaries, Elizabeth Warren was clearly the smartest person on stage at every debate, the most capable, the most person with the best plan. And yet even the progressive party in America could not, out of this this ridiculous idea of, well, we don't, you know, I'd vote for her, but I don't know if my neighbor would vote for her, so I'm not going to vote for her. Well, I mean, there you have systemic sexism in a nutshell. Mm. And it is why... It is why you are seeing the level of fury at at this point, because it is very clear to people like you and me what has to happen. And yet there is like a cosmic game of chicken where no one really wants to go first, but the moment will come. Mm. I mean, the moment is coming. There is a reckoning coming in America because you can only disregard women and people of color for so long and erase their validity and erase their stories and erase their truths. And, you know, until, until there is a ultimate reckoning. And I think the the sort of like the wheels falling off the bus in the States right now is, is a kind of a canary in the coal mine of whatever that reckoning is going to be. Yeah, America seems to um, have a real uh, dramatic impulse when it comes to history that it, it it can ignore problems for so long until it can't anymore and snap. That that seems yeah. to be, uh, again, I, I, I'm not a scholar of American history, but um, as someone who's... Uh, you know, watched it from afar. That seems to be the 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 way your your history plays out sometimes. Sure, although again, I don't think you can disentangle the way America is and deals with the way Australia is and deals because we are incredibly imperfect mm. neighbors, and 
You know, and again, I I think maybe I should say I I hope that the the world is aware again of how incredibly interdependent we are. And it's not like we can hang out down here on these islands at the other end of the world and disregard the catastrophe up there or what is happening in China or what is happening in Brazil because it's going to impact us. And if we have learned anything in the last few years, it it should be that we we cannot afford the luxury of looking over there and saying those poor motherfuckers, like it just is not gonna work that way, especially with the climate crisis. And any wise culture, wise person, wise sage has known this from the dawn of time as as it happens to you, so it happens Mm. to me. We just can't afford to detach from one another because it won't work, you know? And if one country sinks, the water will rise elsewhere. It's just not ignorable. Absolutely. Uh, So I I can see that Tim Flannery was one of your guests. Uh, Is there something uh, inspirational, something something of hope that you can share with me (laughs) uh, in these dark times? Absolutely. Yeah. Talking talking to Tim was... uh, was incredibly meaningful because I left that conversation much more hopeful about the climate crisis than I entered it on many levels, not just because I left with a deeper understanding of how progress is possible, but also just comforted by the fact that Tim Flannery exists and is out there researching, writing and speaking. And he was generous enough to give me a musician that he had never heard of a couple hours of his time. You know, this podcast has filled me with so much hope on the on the micro level, because listening to people's stories and hearing about their work and hearing about their particular departments of progress is, is inspirational in itself, but also to just be in the shared company of these people was comforting on its own to just know that Storm Large is out there making her art and her feminism and to know that Lenny Henry is out there on a day-to-day basis working on whatever he's working on and to know that Tim Flannery is thinking about seaweed and to know that Susan Cain is out there working on her next book. Like all of this just really filled my well while I was traveling the world and exhausted and on tour because all of these people are out there fighting on a daily basis to make the world a better place. And it made me feel a lot less alone to just listen to them talk about their work. So you've done 20 interviews with some pretty amazing people. What has been the, the thing you've learned over, the, uh, over that time about becoming a better listener and, and getting the most out of the, the, the incredible talent that you're speaking to? Oh, that's such a great question. Well, I've been, inter- I've, you know, I've been on this side of the interview chair for 20 years. First of all, it's such a delight to just sit back and not actually have to do the heavy, heavy lifting. Although as an interviewer, you know, it is not as simple as it seems. And I really, you know, I learned by doing. And after my third or fourth interview, I started taking a different kind of note when I was reading my guest's book or researching their bio or, you know, preparing for the interview. I'm a very, very 
talkative, interrupty, tangential person. And so I really had to rein myself in because I'll just go anywhere, you know, like in any given conversation, it's like, oh, and that reminds me of like, and I'll go very, very off topic. But also, you know, this is not the ABC, like this is a, this is a conversational tangential podcast. So there are certain episodes where it just goes everywhere, but it doesn't matter because it's all really fascinating. And so, you know, I had a list of 25 questions and we got to two, but it didn't matter because we were laughing and crying the whole time. And I found myself thinking, like, I'm not sure I could ever work for the BBC or the ABC because I'm just too weird. And I just don't I just refuse to stick to the script. But maybe also there's a real value in that because, you know, I want to be able to turn on the BBC and listen to like real adults talking in (laughs) super adult tones about super adult things and staying on topic. But I also want to be, I also want to be a fly on the wall with an artist like me talking to an artist like Laura Jane Grace or Tim Minchin about whatever is coming to mind because it's a different kind of headspace to just be like, let's go everywhere. Let's just talk about what happened today. Let's just talk about what just came up. And it's a much more emotional uh, way of attacking a conversation instead of just, you know, facts and promotion and the stuff that usually comes up when you're listening to the radio. What was what was one of those accidental facts that you stumbled into as you went off topic with a guest? You know, one thing does come to mind, and actually, it's it's almost like it, it it's very dark. It was the the very very last interview that I did out of these twenty interviews was with Tim Minchin, and it was in Sydney. And I had finished my tour, and I talked to him the day of my show at the Enmore Theatre. We were, you know, we talked a lot about songwriting and process and time and speed and like all these really fascinating things that I really wanted to ask him about. Like as a songwriter, I was really excited to just drill in with Tim and be like, how did you write that? How much time did you give yourself? What then what? Da, da, da. And we got very nerdy about songwriting. But then the last, the last few minutes of the podcast, we sort of wound up accidentally for whatever reason on the topic of America and how he felt leaving America to move back to Australia and how I felt having just watched America at a distance, having been on tour for seven months or whatever I had been at the time. And we just looked at each other and Tim looked at me. I forget exactly what he said, but he was like, you know, Amanda, it's, I have a bad feeling about this. <laughs> and I and I just remember us sitting there looking at each other and Tim being, you know, Tim also being Tim and like highly skeptical and super acerbic was just, he said something so cutting about how bleak the forecast was in America And I think back now to the fact that that was like the closing thought of my closing interview of my 20 episode round the world podcast. And it sort of ended with this stern warning from Tim to have a great time going back to America because dot, dot, dot. And, you know, and we sort of were laughing about it as we were talking. You know, we are at this moment in history where like we know the shit is hitting the fan. And I don't know what my country is going to look like in 
two, three months, like it might really be catastrophic. And I'm really looking forward to putting Tim's episode out and also getting him on the phone and being like, oh my God, can we talk about what we were talking about? Because if that airs in say November, we'll have a lot to discuss and I will want to hear Tim's take on it. And, mm. you know, there's a part of this podcast and the follow-up chats that's actually really, uh, I'm kind of hanging on to it as a security blanket because I want to go back to all of those friends and voices and be like, oh my God, like Tim, what do we, what do we do? So, you know, in, in a way, especially being marooned here kind of in, in New Zealand without my community and without my friends and my family, my Patreon and this podcast have kind of really held me and it has been my collective and it's my way of staying connected and it's my way of feeling like I'm not alone. Well, I really hope that uh, when you finally get to chat to Tim again, uh, it will be a very positive uh, discussion about- Everything's how- fixed. Well, how close you came <laughs> and how, how you, you know, how America, because like you said, we're, you know, we need America to survive this as well. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we all need each other very badly. Well, it's been so good talking to you. And um, yeah, the, you know, the podcast is available everywhere. And I will encourage you to encourage people to get on the Patreon so that it can stay ad free and sponsor free and and free of corporate ties, because that's it's really wonderful that it's able to roll that way. My thanks again to Amanda Palmer for being such a gracious and wonderful guest on Meta this week. Also, my big thanks to Lauren Watson for the kick-ass artwork that you're looking at right now. My sincere apologies to James Smith for not providing enough time for the audio cleanup. Yeah, I know, my mic was peaking and I'm truly sorry. Uh, I, I, I've got like 17 mics plugged into this computer. I, I never know which one to use. And so sometimes mistakes happen. I'm sorry. I'm really, really sorry. Hopefully it was okay. And a big thank you to the good people of Melbourne for putting up with the what feels like an eternal lockdown in the hope that one day I might be able to visit my family again in Sydney and hopefully this Christmas. Stay safe and sane, Melbourne. I love you so much. Uh, we're going to get through this. I'll speak to you soon. I'll speak to you Thursday. Love you. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.